is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, February 19th, 2024, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Olney, and sitting in the big chair today, Sean Bartley, who has assumed control of the wheel from the legendary Taylor Schwenk, who's out on paternity leave. Sean, how are you feeling today? Man, I'm feeling good. A little nervous, not going to lie, but uh, we're here. We're here, baby. We're here. Well, you're going to kill it, right? Because, you know, you got Tim Kirchin coming on. He's like the nicest person in the world. Don't ever tell him I said that. We got Sarah Langs. We got Todd Radom, who's joining us about the uniform uh, complaints that have been pouring out of spring training so far. We're going to have team previews, Washington Nationals, Baltimore Orioles. You're going to be hearing from Charlie Slows, who's a broadcaster for the Nationals, Melanie Newman, broadcaster for the Orioles. We've got a lot going on. So it should be easy for you. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So news and notes as we get started. This is kind of a cool note. Pablo Sandoval got a non-roster invitee to the Giants camp. He, of course, is a San Francisco legend, 37 years old. Why not? Bring him into camp, see what he can do. The Diamondbacks looking for a right-handed compliment for Jock Peterson signed Randall Gritchick to a one-year, $2 million deal. Interesting trade by the Kansas City Royals, who clearly are going all in, trying to win this year. Well, all in, I guess, in a small market type way. They are trying to bolster their bullpen, so they picked up John Schreiber, who was so effective a couple years ago for the Boston Red Sox. They sent their number 19 prospect to Boston in return for Schreiber. And the other day, Rob Manfred made some news. Speaking with reporters, he indicated that he'll leave his job at the end of his current contract in 2029. Here's Manfred in Tampa, Florida. With expansion at the owners meeting and here with the All-Star game, you've made it sound like this term is going to be your last term as commissioner. Have you formalized that? Have you told ownership that this is it? And if so, what what does the next few years look like as far as finding a successor? Yeah, I mean, I I have, look, I'm 65, okay? I just started a five-year term. That, do that math, right? That makes me 70 years old. You can only have so much fun um, in one lifetime. Um, I have been open with them uh, uh, about the fact that this is going to be my last term. Um, you know, I said it before the, to them before the election in July, and I'm absolutely committed to that. Uh, I, I'm sure the selection process is going to look like it looked the last time. There'll be a committee of owners um, that'll be put together. Um, and, you know, they'll identify candidates via, you know, interview process, and ultimately someone or a slate of people will be put forward. So Tim Kirchin's coming up, and I'm going to explain to him why I don't think this is that big of a deal. Uh, so it's uh, it's an interesting, uh, the way it was revealed to that question from Joel Sherman. Sean, what else do you have? Oh, man, we got another big day in the college football game day podcast world. Be sure to check that out. That'll be coming out Wednesday evening. You'll be able to check that out wherever you get your podcast, as well as on our YouTube. Go to the YouTube page, comment, interact with us, and uh, let's have some fun this year. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkton, of course, covers baseball for ESPN. He's out in Arizona right now. Uh, Tim, how you doing? I'm well, Buster. Everything's okay. I uh, I've almost got a tan. <laughs> well, you got, you got another month to work on that. 
So before we get to Rob Manfred and what he said last week about when he's going to end his time as commissioner of baseball, uh, you know, I mentioned you're out in Arizona, you're going camps to camp. Give me a couple of examples of things you've seen, things that intrigue you, conversations you've had. Well, I saw the Dodgers the first day I was here and I walked in the clubhouse and there was like a hundred media members in the clubhouse. It was a circus. It was incredible. And even though the Japanese media are really respectful of, of players and the U.S. media and everything else, and and it worked beautifully the day I was there, it's going to be a circus every day with the Dodgers this year, wherever they go. But they seem to have things under control so far. And, of course, I got to look at Otani taking batting practice. You know, the first BP he took, Buster, was on a backfield so far that the media wasn't even allowed to go back and watch batting practice. But the second one he took, I watched. And as always, it was breathtaking. I have no doubt that he will be ready to play on opening day. I got to look at Yamamoto, not throwing it, but um, so that was a really important day to be around the Dodgers and see what they have and see what they look like. I watch Mookie Betts take ground balls at second base. I am totally fascinated by that move. So you could talk the whole podcast about what the Dodgers are doing, but those are just a few things I saw from that. All right. And so that's in advance. You're doing exhibition broadcast coming up. Yes. Yeah, so I did, uh, you know, some prep work for that, and I went to see the Padres yesterday just to check in on the, you know, the Kim to shortstop, Bogarts to second base situation, which is also so, so interesting. I also saw the Guardians. I checked in on Stephen Vogt, new manager, fascinating, really interesting guy. Um, I saw the, the world champion Rangers today. So I'm bouncing all over the place. I have several more camps to go to. And then I have the Dodgers Padres on Thursday and Friday in the booth with uh, Eduardo Perez and uh, Kevin Brown. Uh, a conversation that you had uh, in Rangers camp today or an observation you had from uh, watching the world champions. Well, I know this really sounds corny, Buster, but I really gathered from watching the Rangers last year what a team that was. Chris Young knows how to build a team where he brings in the right personalities to fit. And, you know, we were talking about, I was talking to Chris Young today, that the the, first, the 26th guy in their team is treated the same as the best guy on the team. Corey Seager, Josh Smith are, are the same players, even though one has nearly won the MVP. So in talking to the Rangers, I, I left thinking, I'm not sure what their pitching is going to look like early in the season, but that's a really good club. And with Wyatt Langford here and, you know, with, with what they've got coming back, Evan Carter, I mean, this team has a chance once their pitching gets organized to be a team that wins back-to-back -back championships for the first time since the Yankees. I really believe that. Doesn't it feel like it's kind of a race against time for them? Can they hang in there? Can they rope-a-dope it for half a season? Right. I think they're going to score enough runs to make the rope-a-dope work. But you're right. I don't see them with enough starting pitching right now to come flying out of the gate. But if they can rope-a-dope, as you said, and they get Scherzer and DeGrom back, say, after the All-Star break around that, I mean, imagine two fresh arms like that coming back firing. Uh, that, that's a, that is a really interesting situation. All right. Last week, Rob Manfred, who we just heard from, talked about how he's told the owners, this is it. I'm going to be done when my contract is up in 2029. You've covered baseball a long time, Tim. Do you take that at face value? Um, 
Yeah, I do. I'm a little naive, Buster, as you know. But I, when somebody says this is it, for the most part, I believe him. And I think it'll be real interesting to see what happens in his final years. But I think when he gets there, he'll say, all right, I've done my time. I did the best I could. Standard length for a commissioner. So I think after 29, we'll have another commissioner. Okay. Uh, I uh, don't take it at face value only because maybe, you know, Bud Selig, his predecessor, felt like uh, like told us repeatedly at other stuff he wanted to do. And then he kept on coming back and he kept on getting right. extensions. And maybe Rob has other aspirations. I haven't asked him about that. But I think the, the question I have from 30,000 feet, Tim, is this really that big of a deal, as big of a deal as it once was? Because as I thought about it, I'm thinking, you know what? You know, when you and I were kids, like the the commissioner had some independence, you know, a Bart Giamatti, a Faye Vincent, uh, and they would make owners really mad. Like they would, there would be fights. You'd hear about, uh, you know, a Steinbrenner, a Charlie Finley fighting with a Bowie Kuhn, uh, you know, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, uh, you know, set a precedent for that when he was commissioner. The commissioner's job now, Tim, I think is so different. He, he essentially is, uh, you know, is a plug and play lawyer who's working on behalf of the owners as they look to, you know, maximize how much money they can make in a private business. And yeah. I, 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 so I, I actually don't think it's that big of a deal. What about you? I agree that the power of the commissioner isn't what it used to be. The commissioner, you know, we're at the 50 year anniversary this year, Buster, of Hank Aaron's 715th homer. And as you remember, Bowie Kuhn, right. the, the Braves were going to sit him down for the first three games of the season. So he could hit 714 and 715 in Atlanta. And the commissioner said, no, 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 he's playing these games. That I just don't think that happens today. I don't think the way that Peter Uberoff ran things happens today. The way that Faye Vincent went right after the owners and said, you're wrong about this. I'm not going to let you get away with this. I don't think those days exist anymore. So for the most part, I agree with you that the commissioner job has really changed. Yeah, it's changed dramatically. And I, to the point that during the last labor negotiation is the players really focused their ire on Rob and there was all kinds of social media uh, attacks on him. I, I just was sort of shaking my head going, you guys are kind of missing the point. Like <laughs> he doesn't have that much power. He does what he's told to do by these 30 billionaires. Right. And again, that was not the way that it used to work. I mean, Charlie Finley tried to trade all his best players. The commissioner stepped in and said, no, 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 those guys are not going to Boston. It's the end of that. Again, I'm not sure that happens today. Yeah. Anybody jump to mind for you as a, uh, you know, a possible replacement for him going forward? Because the name that comes to mind for me is Dan Hallam, who's basically been his right hand man over the last decade. Right. And again, it, he fits the profile of exactly what you're talking about, a labor lawyer who really knows how the game works. And it's so important to understand how the game works. I keep reading and hearing. Let's go outside the realm here. Let's get someone who is not involved in the game. Let's get a fresh look. Uh, and maybe that's the right way to go. But my guess is they're going to stay within. Yeah, no, the names they've seen nominated on social media, Tim, to take over as commissioner have included Theo Epstein. And, and I'm like, I think you would agree with me. Like, no, he's pretty much going to be with the Red Sox now moving forward. Um, and, and to some degree, being a commissioner of baseball might have less power than he's going to have in 10 years. 
Uh, and I've heard Jason Stark mentioned. I've heard you mentioned, Tim. People <laughs> have brought up your name to be next commissioner. I'm like, no, that's never going to happen. No, and it's not going to happen with Jason Stark, even though he's great at this. And I saw your name thrown out there also. You would be a terrible commissioner. I would be if terrible. <laughs> the only one worse than you would be me. So please, <laughs> I'm hotter than anyone would actually think that, even though I think it was tongue in cheek. But at the same time, I don't want to be the commissioner. It's not the job for me. Right. I would tell the owners, I would tell the players on a given day. No, I totally disagree with you. And I would get fired and it would be all over. All right. So Pete, Pete Alonso uh, spoke with reporters on Saturday about his current contract situation, uh, which is no negotiations. He's a free agent at year's end. Uh, he's now represented by Scott Boris, who almost uniformly takes his clients into free agency. Uh, here's Pete Alonso speaking with, with reporters. You definitively say that you want to be a lifelong Met. And also, do you believe that as the season plays out, you'll have the numbers and the production that at the end, you know, everything will work out in your favor? I mean, I for me, I think that um... – Number one goal is just being healthy through the uh, through the course of the year. I, I love it here. I definitely uh, I definitely have envisioned myself of, of being a lifelong Met. That's a that's something I've definitely thought about. Um, and I love I love New York. It's a really special place uh, for uh, my family and I. And I I've definitely thought of the idea. I've definitely welcomed the idea. But I can't predict the future. Um, and for me, I just want to focus on on this season. I just want to be the best person I can be. And I've sat back and, and listened I've, and uh, just want to be the, the best player I can be. That's it. Yeah. It's not surprising, you know, since he chose Scott Boris to represent him in these negotiations, this is the trajectory of this. And I'd say this about, I'd say this, if the Mets asked me my opinion, Tim, and I'm curious what your opinion is. Look, it, it, there's no doubt when you look at first baseman and how they've gotten paid, they've fallen way behind other positions. You know, teams really feel like that they can replace uh, a power guy, someone who's not necessarily elite defensively, and you don't want to be stuck in a position where you might overpay them. I, I think this is an exception, Tim. You have a homegrown player who's had a lot of success in New York. He's demonstrated comfort in New York. And on top of that, you've got the Mets who are starved for power the idea of losing Pete Alonso at this moment is unfathomable. I asked uh, Paul Hembikides to look this up before I came on with you. Give me the uh, the player, the players who have the highest percentage of their team home runs, 2021 to 2023, the last three seasons. Not surprisingly, Pete Alonso is number one. He has 123 homers. That's 21.89% of the Mets homers in that time. The other names on that list, Kyle Schwarber, Shohei Otani, Salvador Perez, Aaron Judge. And this is a Mets team, Tim, that's in the same division as the Braves, who hit all those home runs and have that stack lineup, and the Phillies, who have all those home run hitters. I don't think they can let Alonso get away. Yeah, I totally agree, Buster. It's still a home run game, even though we're trying to change that. But when you don't hit it out of the ballpark, you don't win. And I'm surprised Pete Alonso has not been signed long-term by the Mets. But you're right. The Boris factor is real. He loves to take his guys to free agency. They're always going to make more money that way. There are exceptions. Steven Strasburg said, I want to stay in Washington. Got a huge contract well before free agency. But 
the other thing about Alonzo is, as he said, he loves to play there and he can play there, Buster. We know now there are guys who go there and they just don't handle it very well. Again, Joey Gallo, a different level player perhaps, but he just couldn't make it work there. Pete Alonzo can. He enjoys being there. They love him there. I think he's going to be there long term, but I'm surprised it hasn't been done by now. So it actually wasn't that long ago when Bryce Harper signed his long-term deal with the Philadelphia Phillies, but he his representation, Scott Boris, is in conversation with the Phillies about an extension which presumably would keep him with the team for the rest of his career. Here's Bryce Harper speaking with reporters on Saturday. Uh, not too much my preference at the same time. Um, I think we had a you know pretty good conversation. Um, you know, me and Dombo, we sat down and um, – you know, he said this would be great for organization, and I said okay. I, you know, I wanted to make them, you know, understand or not make them. I wanted them to, you know, know that I was on board with anything that they wanted to do. Um, you know, if that was right field, if that was first base, and I told them that. You know, I said if you want me in right field, I'll play right. If you want me at first, I'll you know play first base. And you know, I think as a collective, they said you know first base is where we want you. And you know, I said okay. That sound mostly was about playing first base. Bryce also touched on the the talks with the Phillies uh, about an extension. And Tim, it wouldn't surprise me if they did something because it's pretty clear Bryce wants to stay. And John Middleton, the owner of the Phillies, has demonstrated he doesn't really care about the bottom line. Right. And I think it's great that somebody wants to stay. I think it's great that you know, there was no option or opt out in Bryce Harper's contract. He signed with the Phillies and said, I'm staying here forever. And now he wants to cement that. Now, maybe, you know, he won't be a good enough player if they give him an extension to earn that money as he goes along. But uh, that guy's different and he's going to be a really good player pretty much as long as he plays. I would I would be surprised if he doesn't get an extension and doesn't end up playing the rest of his year for career for the Phillies. All right. Before you go, I uh, just want to ask you real quick, uh, it's a trade that didn't get a lot of attention on Saturday. John Schreiber dealt the reliever from the Boston Red Sox to the Kansas City Royals. I think he's in line to make like $1.2 million this year. The Royals are trying to ramp up their bullpen. And it was according to MLB.com, uh, Kansas City gave up their 19th best prospect in return for Schreiber. And boy, Tim, as soon as I saw this, I'm like, is this exactly where the sport is right now? Where two years ago, he was one of the best relievers in baseball. But that changes so rapidly. Spin rates, you know, fastball below, uh, you know, spiking from year to year. Relievers collectively not being really or individually not really being valued that highly. So that, you know, he can be moved to, to Kansas City and it's not that expensive. Yeah, I, I watched him pitch a couple of years ago and at least one game I was at. I wonder, how's anyone get a hit off of this guy? I mean, he had that dive bomb sinker and he threw so hard and he had that different release point. And I thought this guy's going to be really good for a long time. And it lasted like two years. And you're right. They're so expendable relief pitchers they just move to place to place and to to get the 19th best prospect for a guy who was a pretty good pitcher um it, that it's confusing to me on a lot of levels well that's where baseball is i think in terms of how they build bullpens in 2024 all right tim thanks for doing this have fun in arizona all right buster see you soon hot ticket is brought to you by vivid seats the official ticketing partner of espn Get great deals and the hottest tickets. Experience it live. 
You can now stream the most Major League Baseball games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your Major League Baseball games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. That's D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip codes and requires choice package. Baltimore Orioles. Machinations. The team is in the process of being sold, and already there are signs that the new ownership is going to spend more than the outgoing leader, John Angelos. The Orioles got the ace they needed in a trade for Corbin Burns. And earlier in the winter, they signed Craig Kimbrell to step in for Felix Bautista as closer. The industry expectation is that top prospect Jackson Holiday will start the season in the big leagues. Melanie Newman does play-by-play on television and radio for the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, I don't see anything but positives from this. We all know the legacy that Peter Angelos created, and ultimately, this is someone else who cares. I mean, Rubenstein grew up a fan of the Orioles. He adores them, and if you look at his background, he's a very giving patron of the arts. He wants to be involved in the community. He's not Steve Cohen, but... He's kind of made it clear, too, that he, he wants to put some cash and flux into this. Melanie, how big of a deal is the Kyle Bradish injury? As much as I want to say it, it is a, it is concerning. We, we can't gloss over that and say they're going to be fine. They won't miss a beat. He still finished the top five for pitchers in the American League last year. I mean, this is another John Means story of a guy who was kind of glossed over and really made something of himself. And I always loved he has such a slow heart rate. He's not an emotional guy. So he's built for those bigger moments. I'm grateful, if anything, that it's in spring training and not down the stretch, because as we've seen with Felix Bautista, that's where things can kind of fall apart. They still have time to regroup right now. Does Tyler Wells go in the rotation or is he in the bullpen? Where do you place somebody like that? You had a couple guys on the outside who were going to be fighting for a chance to make that rotation. And I think now that's going to push them to the forefront, provided that Elias and his team don't go out and sign somebody else. But you're just hopeful that it's a quicker bounce back right now and that guys, again, like Tyler Wells, can really step up. A guy to watch. Jackson Holiday could be the future shortstop for the O's, but in 2024, it's possible they'll ease his transition into the big leagues by starting him at second base or third. Holiday just turned 20 in December, but he oozes with offensive potential. While advancing through four different levels of the minors last summer, he batted 320 with a 449 OPS. He stole 24 bases, drew over 100 walks, and racked up 51 extra base hits in 125 games. I still think we're underrating Gunnar Henderson, and, and it comes with his durability. I haven't seen a talent like this in a long time and it's natural and you add the work ethic to that and I think it's just going to play out so much better I mean this is a guy seeing having a decade plus career I love him at shortstop I think he is absolutely warranted to stay there you move Jackson Holiday to second base that is how much 
I love him right now. I will say, though, a guy that we don't talk about enough, who I am really curious just to see how it works out this year, because we're not planning on Ryan Mountcastle having more vertigo issues, is the fact that they just re-signed Ryan O'Hearn to avoid arbitration. This is a guy we saw his back get super hot when he got that consistent playing time. Very Aaron Hicks-esque, because he wasn't sitting on the bench. He could get into a groove, and he delivered in such big moments you know you've got it home runs are great but you've got to have the guy who can drive those base hits when others are already on the base paths and he gets that and he knows what that's like and he's never been more motivated than he is right now because he's finally in a competitive team that he's never experienced in his career um so i i love having him come back i'm curious to see if he can have another big year and pick up that club option the weakest link With Bautista dominating the ninth innings, the Orioles had one of the best bullpens in the majors last season. Without Bautista, the O's will need heroes to step up. And through Kimbrell's prolific career, he's been excellent. But he's also had his share of meltdowns, like in the 23 playoffs, when his struggles against the Diamondbacks seemingly derailed a Phillies team that appeared destined for the World Series. This is where the new ownership might be difference-making. If the Orioles need bullpen help through the trade deadline, the front office will likely have the green light to plug holes through deals. Win projection. The Orioles won 101 games last season despite season-long depth questions in the rotation. And now that they've got Burns to lead the starters, and now that Holiday has reached the majors to join Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, and others, it's possible they could be even more dangerous. I say the O's win 95 games in the American League East. Sarah Langs' prediction for the Orioles in 2024, 93 wins. Hembo pegs the Orioles with 92 wins. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, It's exciting to hear the sound of your catchers working out in bullpens, you know, to hear about the Dodgers doing live batting practice. Uh, I'm sure you saw the video of Yamamoto with his stuff, right? His three-pitch stuff that he had the other day with the movement on it. Uh, and it, it, for me, it's always a reminder of like, man, hitting is not easy. Oh my goodness. I mean, he looks so good. I mean, you know what I love was the media contingent was absolutely wild to see. I saw Lindsay Adler post a photo of everyone watching that bullpen session, and it's absolutely incredible. It's really, really cool to see all the excitement coming out of Dodgers camp right now. I know. Yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait to see his first game in the big leagues. You know, I, I think I've yes. mentioned to you that uh, you know the Dodgers obviously believe in the ceiling. They believe in signing a guy who is a twenty who twenty who's twenty five years old to a long term deal. But just in talking with evaluators with other teams, they say right now they project him in two thousand twenty four to be more of a middle of the rotation type guy. Somebody's going to be wrong, Sarah, and I kind of <laughs> like that. Like uh, somebody's going to be really wrong. All right. So uh, I had a conversation with Tim about the Pete Alonso negotiations, which there aren't going to be any. He's a Scott Boris client, as you know, Scott almost uniformly takes his clients into free agency, and then that'll happen at the end of this year. If you were Steve Cohen, excuse me, if you were working uh, for the Mets instead of at MLB.com, what advice would you give for Steve Cohen about how to handle these negotiations? I mean, I think that 
field has represented the Mets more than any other player in the last you know, 20 years other than David Wright. And he's already kind of in that echelon. So I think my advice would be to not let get ugly publicly, see the course and really try to get this player back because I just can't imagine people on him in another uniform. And he really seems to love playing him. And it just seems like they need to hold on to this homegrown power hitting talent. Yeah, and here's the thing. I think that if they stick strictly to the numbers, if David Stearns adheres only to the analytics in this negotiation, then he's not going to be signed. He's going to wind up going someplace else. Because you and I were texting last week about how it's been more than a decade since a first baseman signed a contract of $200-plus million, right? I think there were three you mentioned in the text. It was like Miguel Cabrera, Joey Votto, and Prince Fielder, I think, was the other one. Yes? Yeah, that was it. And um, obviously, one of those wasn't even a pre-aging contract that was Votto's extended. And those are the only first baseman we've seen get that amount of money. And funny, when you asked me that, I was trying to figure out who you were asking about, whether we're looking at Bellinger as a first reason, and it makes so much sense that it was about Alonzo. And I do think that there are intangibles and other parts of him and his game that need to be considered when you look at trying to bring him back in New York. All right, so, Sean, this is your first chance to step in and do the countdown for Sarah. You start with a number three, you work your way down to one, she'll give you a fax. Go ahead. And number three. Number three is 30. So the Giants have reportedly signed Jorge Soler, and I love this move for them because they have not had a power him like Soler in a really, really long time. And as we may or may not know, I'm sure I've talked about on here before, the Giants have not had a player hit 30 home runs for them in the season since 2004 when Barry Bonds did them. So since 05, every other team has at least five players do that. The Yankees have had 29 different 30 homer seasons from guys. And overall, there have been 496 individual 30 homer seasons by players for a single team by 220 different players. And if you take a look at Solar's projections, they range from about 27 to 32. And I actually talked to Dan Zimborski, who runs the zip projections over at Bankrupt. And uh, the projection on his system is 27. That is the highest projection for any Giants player since Bonds in 06 when he was projecting 430 plus. So this is a power hitter that San Francisco has not seen in a very long time. And number two. Number two is 16. So I've been uh, in the midst of, you know, following the top hundred right now. Now MLB Network is doing the countdown for the best players in baseball. I know ESPN does something similar but closer. And it's a very interesting year because the top five 
And then number one, I don't think is as contrived as it's been in the past because Otani is not pitching this year. Otherwise, it would obviously be him. But so I was asked to consider which guys would be in my top five. And one guy I will have in that top one is Julio Rodriguez. And I came across this set that just shows how dynamic he is. So he reached 60 homers and 60 stolen bases in his career in 284 games. That is the second fewest games to reach 60 and 60. Behind only Eric Davis who did so in 276 games. And I just think that shows you how dynamic he is on the field. On both sides of the ball, we know that game comes into play when he slings in the field. And I think he's the top five player in baseball right now. Number one. Number one is two. So this is something that I thought of during the winter meeting and was so excited to work on. Uh, sometime last month, and finally get out there. So Stephen Boop is just two years removed from playing his final game in the major. We all remember that final game in 2022. He homered his final career bat. All that joy and excitement as he rounded the bases. It was such a heartwarming moment. So I was curious how many guys I managed that soon after playing weeks food player managers, which is obviously different. Seaman Moat will be the first manager to manage his first game within two seasons or fewer of playing and do that on opening day. So starting the season as the team's manager since Larry Boa in 1987. Wow. Right? It felt like one of those things where, oh, someone else must have done it lately. No, no one has done this since Larry Boa. And there's seven other, uh, seven total in the expansion era. We have Luke Pinella, Joe Agha, Red Shane Deans, uh, Yogi Berra, but his is Wick, because he managed on that And then Alvin Dark and Mickey Burns. So the fact that Stephen Boat's doing this, should not be overlooked, in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely not. And Sarah, the first time that I met Stephen Vogt, and I believe it was in 2010, was when he was in Double A. It was a Double A All Star game in Jackson, Tennessee, and there was a room full of uh, young All Stars, and, and there were a number of guys. Paul Goldschmidt was actually in the room. Uh, other guys were in the room, and the most talkative guy in that room, not even close, was Stephen Vogt. Like he just wanted to chat, you know, and who am I? Because you, you can bet that most of the players who were in that room that day as I was speaking to them are like, yeah, OK, idiot sports writer. Let's move on. And Stevens, like his enthusiasm was just so uh, overwhelming. It was really cool. And now he's in this moment. Uh, I've got one question for you. Uh, but before that, you need to give on a scale of one to ten. What do you think of Sean's uh, countdown? I thought it was good and very, very good for a first time ever. I mean, we've had moments where we've gone the wrong order, and we've been doing this forever. So bravo and welcome to the family show. Man, thank you so much. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Taylor has really set the bar super high, so I'm going to <laughs> somewhat meet expectations. <laughs> very nice. All right. You guys are doing the top 100 players. 
And number one, as you say, with Otani not pitching this year, number one to me has to be either Aaron Judge or Ronald Acuna Jr. Who you got? Yep. So I'm reading my thing about this later today, but I'm leaning on Ronald Acuna Jr. But absolutely, I mean, those two guys are the consideration of top ten. Also looking at Mookie Bass in that top five for sure. And Otani is still in that top five. He just isn't leading us since he isn't pitching. But I think I'll give it to Acuna for now. But I'm glad you said that. That makes me feel better about my choice. <laughs> All right, Sarah. It's good to talk with you. Uh, and I will talk to you later in the week. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Vosser. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. We do not have a weekly quiz. This is an emergency session, Todd. You know, we we called it an emergency executive (laughs) session after the response to the uh, jerseys that were handed out to players last week. Um, it, 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 uh, as you said to me in your, in your email response, boy, it, it's all of a sudden it got warm very quickly. It, like the uh, baseball season now is around the corner. We have players and writers complaining. <laughs> well, Buster, first of all, it's so good to see you and uh, good to be back. And, uh, I couldn't help but think of the fact that, you know, at one time baseball was our national pastime. And I think that our current national pastime is complaining about new things and changes the likes of what we're going to talk about here today. Okay, very nice. So can you describe, because as soon as I saw this, I'm looking at the jerseys and I'm like, I, I could give a you know, somewhat of a description on it, but I don't know the specifics of it the way you do. Tell me what's different about the uniforms that set off all these players this spring. Okay, so big picture stuff. Nike, whose swoosh has been appearing on MLB uniforms since 2020, I believe. Um, Basically, the, the jerseys, the uniforms, had been manufactured by the previous manufacturer, Majestic. Well, this year, Nike has its template, its own template, uh, its own specifications, its own materials, its own colors, all of these different things, and these will all come to bear this season. So there are some very significant issues, the likes of which people are already talking about, Buster. Number one, I think it's a player issue, and that is the construction of the uniforms themselves. The material is different, and you're hearing players barking about this, but that's something that you and I and fans really, uh, we might notice the appearance of them because I think they look a little bit tighter. I'm seeing buttons bulging and things like that, but that could be a function of the first week of spring training, too. Right. Clubhouse guys, equipment managers figuring out everybody's sizes after people getting in the best shape of their lives. Yeah, exactly. And we have heard a number of things along these lines of players not responding well to the pants. Now, this is where we're at. You and I were talking about pants here on the podcast, right? So, uh, you know, traditionally, if you're a a major leaguer and you get measured up, it's like getting a bespoke suit made, right? You're getting all of these different measurements taken. Well, as of right now, this may change when the season rolls around. You're getting a small, medium, large, extra large. You, you don't have, you know, customized inseams. But let's move beyond that and let's move on to what people are really taking note of. And that is these visual changes, the likes of which start with the fact that player names are greatly diminished on the back of jerseys. Now, they've done a couple of things, Buster. They've taken the Major League Baseball silhouetted batter logo, 
which used to be pretty high up on the neckline. They've shifted that down south, and they've reduced the size of player names pretty significantly. And I think for some teams, eh, it's not going to be that noticeable, but I'll give you an example here in Philadelphia. The Phillies font on the back of their uniform, which you probably, you know, you're going to know what I'm talking about. It's very condensed. So when that has been reduced now, Aaron Nola's name looks like, uh, you know, looks like a footnote, basically. Right. Somebody threw a, you know, hit him with a slop of mud. Right. (laughs) So this is really super noticeable. Um, Some other things that are noticeable, uh, which we've actually heard from the players, the colors. Buster appear to be a little bit different. It seems like Nike has standardized some colors. Uh, I think it was Dansby Swanson, if I'm not mistaken, talking about the shade of Cubs blue that looks different. A couple of guys on the Orioles, on Taylor's Orioles the other day, talking about the brightness of their orange, looking like highlighter markers. But I'm going to get to something that I don't think people are going to really be on to for the most part until we really see the game starting. And that is the uh, diminishment, the elimination of some really cool individual features that we've come to take for granted. And I'll give you a couple of examples. The Dodgers have been wearing red numbers on the fronts of their uniforms since 1952. There's a whole story behind it. We'll talk about that another time. But these numbers have always been outsized. And if you look at a picture of Jackie Robinson in 1955, if you look at a picture of Sandy Koufax from his glory years, all the way down to Kershaw and Mookie Betts, you've got these oversized red numbers, which now have shrunk. They look like they shrunk in the wash. So Shohei Otani's number 17 looks tiny, Buster. Same thing to a lesser extent for the St. Louis Cardinals, who have always worn numbers that are a little bit bigger on the front couple of other examples really briefly. The Detroit Tigers have always had, for whatever reason, a whole bunch of belt loops. They don't have that anymore. The Atlanta Braves had a little bit of piping around their belt loops. Just kind of a signature team thing. That's been eliminated. And just lastly, I guess, would be um, something that we really haven't seen yet, but we're going to see. Teams like the Tigers and the Red Sox, who have piping around the trim, the front vertical trim of their uniforms, That is significantly more narrow than it was. So close your eyes. Imagine a picture of Ted Williams in 1939. Imagine, yes, blah, 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 or Al Kaline, Hank Greenberg. That's going to look really weird. So I'm curious along these lines, uh, you know, there's so much complaining going on now. How much uh, ability does a company have to make changes now and and actually hear the response and and uh, and adjust at this point when we're in mid February, what sort of tweaks might you see, if any? Zero. It's impossible. It's like turning around the Titanic in one little spin. Wow! Not going to happen. They have been planning on these changes for years. These are literally been years in the making. The uniform templates buster made their debut uh, in the All Star game last year, but. As you know, um, these are not team-specific uniforms. You had an American League and a National League template. And furthermore, it was only a handful of players relative to the 30 major league clubs. Um, So the players seemed to like the fit of these uniforms last year. The appearance of them was a little different because it's the All-Star game. This is what we've got now. But once we see these changes applied to uh, everything that's in the pipeline, let's not forget about the retail ramifications of this. has nothing to do with the players, but, you know, there are fans who are into buying their their uh, team gear, a lot of fans. Um, 
from what I understand, the team versions are going to be quite different from what fans are going to be buying at retail. Uh, if you are a fan and you are buying a, uh, a lower level replica jersey, let's call it, none of these elements are going to be sewn on. They are all heat pressed. There are no stitches. Um, so it's really kind of a different landscape. And this does matter to some people. It's not necessarily my thing, although I'm an observer of all of it. I'm really all about what's going on in the field of play. But uh, yeah, you're going to you're going to hear uh, various complaints. All right. So, yeah, I mean, you led perfectly into my question. What do you think? Uh, it's weird, and it's going to take a little getting used to. Uh, I can't I stand am... the idea that the players' num names are smaller. That makes no sense to me. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you know, and again, I talk about this all the time, Buster. When we talk about designing uniforms and logos, we talk about form and function, that you've got to look good, but there's a certain amount of functionality. I don't know what that is these days in relation to player names. It's not 1960 anymore, where you've got to match up a guy's name on the back of his uniform with a scorecard. But the fact that everything looks the same, I think, makes it a little bit less special, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, again, every team deserves its own look, uh, a bespoke look. To harken back to what I said a few minutes ago, it's the equivalent of buying a suit off the rack versus getting something custom made, right? And uh, teams look different. There are these weird differences in player numbers, the likes of what I talked about with the with the Dodgers, right? But even on the backs of uniforms, you had oversized numbers in some instances. And now everything's kind of looking the same. And I'll pull up the analogy of the very end of Goodfellas again, where Ray Liotta is in witness protection. And, you know, he's picking up the paper in his anonymous cul-de-sac in Arizona. And, you know, he used to have the muscle and the power. And now he's just a schnook and he looks like everybody else. <laughs> oh man i gotta come up with some way to describe the uh the names in the back they're like the ingredients in the back of a box of cereal do you know what i mean i mean it's it, footnotes it feels... footnotes right exactly yeah you know that's that that's a better way to describe it the footnotes on the back of the jerseys these guys are the stars of the game so it'll be interesting to see how this conversation develops during the summertime all right todd uh, we'll be talking with you in a couple of weeks. We'll start uh, the weekly quiz and the, the feature that you always do. I am looking forward to all of it, Buster. Can't wait to be back. Great to be here and uh, looking forward to the season. All right. Happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday to you, my friend. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks. Predicting upsets. Winning my bracket group and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. Washington Nationals. Machinations. We'd like to tell you that the Nationals are ready to take a big step forward from their massive rebuild and join the playoff chase. But we'd be lying. There's still work to be done, 
Washington added Joey Gallo and Nick Senzel over the winter to perhaps foster the development of the team's core of youngsters like C.J. Abrams, Mackenzie Gore, Kybert Ruiz, and Josiah Gray. Charlie Slows is the radio play-by-play voice of the Washington Nationals. They're getting closer. I mean, this is going to be the year to see when some of those prospects make it to the big leagues. They're very excited about all these guys that are been invited to camp as non-roster players, most notably, you know, Dylan Cruz and James Wood, uh, Robert Hassel, uh, DJ Herz, who they got in the Candelario trade from the Cubs. There are a lot of players. Herz is actually on the 40-man roster. But uh, getting Kate Cavalli back at some point early in the year, coming back from Tommy John surgery, they're, they're excited to see the progression of these these young players. I think Dylan Cruz is at the top of the list, even though he's the least experienced professionally. But the level he played at in college and what we saw, you know, a guy who's exceeded uh, most things you could accomplish at the college level uh, playing at LSU. And I, and I think we'll see him in the big leagues, barring anything unforeseen within a couple of months. The youngest of the prospects the battled some back problems a couple of years ago, but did uh, progress last year uh, is, is the third baseman uh, that the Nationals hope is the third baseman of the future. He's, tra- uh, he's also in camp uh, as a non-roster player, Brady House. Trey Lipscomb, who was a third round pick out of Tennessee, can play second and third, maybe some first, maybe even the outfield. They're very high on him. So there's, there's a lot of possibilities. And don't rule out the name Darren Baker. Baker is in camp as a non-roster player, maybe the oldest of the prospects because uh, he spent all four years playing college baseball at, at Cal. A guy to watch. The Nationals played much better in the second half of the season, and Abrams was a big part of that after he was promoted to the leadoff spot in the lineup. In 31 games from August 6th to September 11th, Abrams had an OPS of 802 with eight homers, a hint of the talent that is just starting to emerge. They're excited of the year that C.J. Abrams had with 47 stolen bases, really progressing as a leadoff batter and uh, improving in the field. So they feel like they're on the way. And and I think the switch turned on when right around the 1st of July, they moved them from batting 8th or ninth to the leadoff spot and said, this is where you're going to be with Lane Thomas dropping down to the two spot behind him. And uh, it it was as if you just told him, "Okay, today's the first day you're going to play baseball because everything in his game improved. Uh, he knew that he had uh, the, the freedom to run the bases, and he was extremely successful there. And he improved defensively in a lot of ways. Going, uh, He had trouble uh, the beginning of the year and the year before to his left going up the middle of balls that were off his glove, kind of glove errors. He really improved on his footwork and, uh, and his throwing as well. So, I mean, I just think at this point, you're just scratching the surface tip of the iceberg. Win projection. Let's face it, Washington's return to relevance is much more difficult because they inhabit a division with World Series contenders Atlanta and Philadelphia, as well as the team with the highest payroll, the Mets. That the Nationals won 71 games last season, just four fewer than the Mets, was remarkable. Mike Rizzo, the team's longstanding general manager, has said that in a rebuild, you aim for a 15-win improvement from year to year. It's hard to imagine this team adding 15 wins and reaching 86 in 2024, but they are getting better. I've got them at 73 wins. Bleacher Tweets. All right, everybody, we're going to start off with some Bleacher Tweets. We got some messages from you all, and we're going to kick off this first one with our friend Nick. 
Hey, this is Nick. I'm a big San Francisco Giants fan out of Portland, Oregon. Uh, my question is, uh, Kyle Bradish went down uh, for the Orioles. Obviously, they need some beefing up of their rotation. The Giants have a pretty deep farm system with quality young arms that are basically major league ready, uh, while the Orioles have a, a crop of really good position players in their upper minors. Is there a possibility here that uh, the Giants and the Orioles could work out some kind of trade to fill some holes on each other's squats. Uh, and uh, for Taylor's sake, I hope it works out well for the Orioles, for mine, for the Giants. So, uh, thanks. That's pretty cool. That's our first uh, Bleacher tweet that was called in with that number that Taylor announced on Friday. Sean, what's that number again? That number is 406 404 8460. Very nice. And it was a great question. A lot of imagination. I think it would take a lot of imagination uh, and aggressiveness for these two organizations to get together. The trade that you're suggesting would kind of remind me a little bit when the Diamondbacks and the, and the Marlins made that Jazz Chisholm, uh, Zach Gallon trade, if you remember that. At the time that that went down, people were like, wow, you know, you don't usually see uh, trades of elite young players at such a young age. That's what would be required, and in theory, yeah, they, that potentially could be a match, but it's pretty rare that it happens. All right, and going on to our next Bleacher tweet from Patrick. He says, Buster, super excited to reach out for my first ever Bleacher tweet. I'm an, I'm an obsessive Yankees fan and thankful for the 1990s. That said, I've lived in Braves territory for years and have been trying to figure out for decades how a Braves pitching rotation that was made up of names like Maddox, Glavin, Smolton, Avery could collectively only muster one World Series championship. My Yankees had some great teams during this area, but more often than not, pitching in the postseason wins rings. What are your thoughts on why this rotation always seemed to come up short in big moments i love the show and cannot wait for yet another mlb season go yankees well thank you uh first off uh, i mean short series uh anything can happen now as time went on i do and i've talked about this before uh you know those were teams that i covered i, I do think their experience became a weapon when we're talking about the yankees and so there was an expectation of success there i also think that and i know john smoltz has talked about this the, the Braves didn't have as deep a bullpen as the Yankees did. And I've always believed if Mariano Rivera was on the on the Braves, they would have won more championships. But the other thing, too, is I think the, the Yankees had more swing and miss potential with the group they had. And I know Smoltzy believes this. Swing and miss can win in the postseason. So I think those were the, the two biggest difference. But a great question. Our next one's Landon from Atlanta, Georgia. I got to say, first off, I love all the Atlanta people that read. There you go. Well, yeah, you're an Atlanta guy. Uh, this is Landon. His question is, uh, Landon from Atlanta, Georgia, but he's a big Orioles fan. Love the Corbin Burns signing and was wondering what it what you thought, if even possible, an extension would look like in terms of years and dollar amounts. Wow. Uh, it's so far beyond where the Orioles have been going that it's even hard to imagine. I mean, I got to believe that the number, if he has a dominant year this year, let's say he's in the contention for uh, American League Cy Young Award winner, I think he's looking at $200 million. And I, I just, at the moment, it doesn't feel like that that's a place the Orioles would go. And our next one is from Luke. Hey, guys, love listening to the show. My question is, do you think the Phillies window of winning a title is over with the Dodgers super team and the odds of beating the Braves three years in a row with the same team seems hard to buy? Nope. I think it's absolutely open. 
Um, I mean, shoot, it was only six months ago. We all thought that the Braves were the best, or excuse me, the Phillies were the best team standing. Uh, and I think it, you know, that they probably are shocked themselves that they didn't finish the deal last fall. Um, and especially in a short series, when you're talking about running out, you know, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, and they've got all that experience in their lineup, all that firepower, uh, you know, young players getting better. And the fact that John Middleton, their owner, clearly is willing to spend in a midseason trade. Now, their window is open right now. And let's see if uh, what the Phillies will do this year. So that wraps it up for our Bleacher Tweets today. Again, please be sure to message us, leave us a message, email us, tweet us. Our number, if you want to leave a message, is 406-404-8460. Very nice, Sean. Thank you for this first day. Way to go. I appreciate it, man. All right. And my thanks today to Sarah, to Tim, to Todd Radom, to Melanie Newman, to Charlie Slows. That's it for today. Uh, we will be back with another podcast, which we'll post on Wednesday morning. We'll have other team previews as we go forward. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.